All right, first things first. It's a little weird and strange being here when the youth group's in Tullahoma. I'm used to being with them. But, you know what, I think it's good for me to hang out with older people sometimes. So uh, I'm glad to be here and to speak tonight. I appreciate the elders trusting me uh, to bring the Word of God to you. Uh, tonight I thought we would talk about um, influence and using our influence to talk to people and to try to win souls for the Lord. Uh, I was going to leave this song. I don't know how it goes. I could not remember. I thought I knew it, but I put one verse up in the chorus. And this sort of goes along with what I'm talking about. Uh, this verse says, a, sweet, a few sweet words may guide a lost one to his side or turn sad eyes on Calvary. So work as days go by that yonder none may cry. You never mention him to me. Then the chorus says, you never mentioned him to me. You helped me not the way to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray. You never mentioned him to me. And I, I think about that sometimes. I see people and, and, well, I have to answer for that in eternity. And, and I, I think the Lord wants us to use every facet of our lives when we see lost people, friends, family, whoever it may, strangers, whoever it may be, to do everything we can to help them and to show them the, great, the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. By way of introduction, we talk about how, or we think about, that we are God's special creation. Special meaning we have a soul. God breathed into us life. And that's a soul that's going to live forever, someplace. It's destined for either heaven or hell. It's going to live somewhere forever. Of course, when we're thinking about this, I'm going to get more into this in just a moment, but the first things we need to do is save ourselves. We need to be the type of people, we've got to be saved, we've got to be Christians, so we can be ambassadors for Christ, as Paul told the Corinthians, to be his representatives here on earth. That's how God set it up. Jesus did his part and has gone back to heaven. Now he's left it up to us, and the Holy Spirit did his part. Now it's left up to us to preach and to tell people, about the good news. Jesus commanded a direct command, and yes, I know he was talking to the apostles at this time, but he told them to go and teach. And I think the same commandment is for us, to go and teach and to tell people what Jesus has done about the great news, as he did with this demoniac, if you will, this demon-possessed person in Mark chapter 5 who Jesus healed, made him whole immediately. And this, this man wanted to stay with Jesus and wanted to get in the boat with Jesus. Matter of fact, he had a foot in the boat, I think. You could check out Mark chapter 5. But Jesus said, no, go tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. Go tell your friends the great compassion that he had. And this man did. He went back to Decapolis and did that. Jesus is telling us to do the same thing. Go and tell people about this great news that you have about the gospel. So when we think about this, I want to ask the question to begin with, what is required of me? If I'm going to be an influence for good, if I'm going to try to be an influence to help win souls, what kind of person do I need to be? Well, to begin with, I think logically, if you're going to try to win souls for Jesus, you have to be a Christian. You have to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Well, 
how do you know if you're ready? You might be thinking, we're not teenagers here. We're not kids. But I think this question applies to everybody. This is not an age-specific question. There may be some tonight older that's not Christians. There's some, more, there's some kids here also that might be thinking about it, contemplating becoming a Christian. So I think if you're going to be, I think it's just logical and reasonable. If you want to win souls for Christ, you must be Christ first and be His first. But how do you know if you are ready? How do you know if you're ready to obey the gospel? Well, when one becomes aware, looks at the evidence and realizes there is a God. There is a Creator. And Jesus is really His Son. Once we become aware of that, we mentally get it, we look at the evidence, there's a whole lot more to it than that. You'll find people who will say, okay, you're saved. All right? This, this lesson is over. If we were of that persuasion, if the Bible taught that, but the Bible doesn't teach that, does it? Once we become aware that God is real and Jesus is His Son, we have to have faith. You have to believe that God is, that Jesus is His Son, and have total, complete, absolute faith in God, that He is God, and He rewards us, those people who obey Him. But then we have to be willing to have a penitent heart. It's called repentance. And we talked about that a little bit this morning. Uh, Paul told the Athenians that everybody now has to repent. Even though God at one time may have already looked it, winked at it, everybody now has to repent. On the day of Pentecost, when the church began, Peter and the apostles said, you've got the first thing out of their mouth was, you've got to repent. But it doesn't stop there. We know that you have to be baptized. And again, we know Jesus gave us that example. Jesus told us to be. The apostles spoke about it and taught it very adamantly that to come in contact with the blood of Jesus, Romans chapter 6, we had to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, as Peter and the apostles said in Acts chapter 2. Then we had to be willing to make a dedication to commit our lives to Jesus in service to Him for the rest of our lives. Then, at that point, I think, once you become a Christian, once you obey the gospel, then logically you can go and say, hey, won't you come to church with me? Hey, let's sit down and have a Bible study. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the good news. So the first thing is getting our lives right and becoming a Christian. And if you're not, think about that tonight. Think about obeying the gospel tonight fully and putting the Lord on in baptism and, and becoming one with Him. But secondly, the second thing to think about what is required of me to influence in winning souls. What to live the life that you're preaching. Once you're a Christian, you are to, we are commanded to start talking about Jesus. To tell people about the good news. That's just, this is the emphasis of this whole lesson. Is once we're Christians, to tell people about the gospel and the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. So we have to live the life that we are preaching. Well, how do we do that? Would you turn to Matthew chapter 23 with me? Let's all go to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees in this chapter. The entire chapter is this interesting discourse of what Jesus thought about some of the rulers of his day. And it wasn't a very good, it's sort of a scathing rebuke of them. But as we look at these first few verses of Matthew chapter 25, and thinking about it, if I'm going to be a, 
be a person that can influence people to want to follow Jesus. And there's certain things I need to be and practice. In Matthew chapter 23, look at the first five verses. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They're doing all this. And Jesus says that when they tell you something from the Bible, listen to it and follow it. But what they're doing, don't do it. They just want to be seen by men. They just want the praise. They just want the pat on the back. It's not sincere what they're doing. Matter of fact, if you read the entire chapter 23, what's he calling them? Hypocrites. Being very hypocritical in what they're doing. We can't put on a show. Now, you can for a little while, but eventually people are going to see through that. And once they see the fakeness, the insincerity of it, then what's going to be left on the table for them to want to follow Jesus? Not much. Matter of fact, we sort of spit in the face of Jesus and his church. You need to be real like Paul was real. Paul was not a hypocrite. He, he wore his religion on his uh, sleeve, if you will. You knew where he was coming from. He was not fake. He was very real in what he did. When Paul told someone to go and preach the gospel, to preach the word, he'd already done it. He'd already preached it. When Paul told people, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to suffer, he had already suffered. When Paul told people, it was real. When we sat down with somebody and tried to talk to them about the gospel, is it real to us? Are we being real or are we being fake? Because eventually that's going to show forth. We cannot be hypocrites. Just cannot do it. It won't work. Yeah, we might deceive some people for a little while. I guess technically, I guess it's possible to maybe even deceive somebody throughout your entire life. But then we come back to, can you deceive God? Then what have you done for your own soul? Where your soul's lost. But people's going to see through that. So we have to be real, practicing what we're preaching. And the third thing to think about as we're, what is required of me to try to influence souls for Jesus, to win souls for Jesus. Uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to have the right heart, have a heart of love and passion and compassion for the lost. It's important to show people that God cares. God really does care for you, for the lost, for everybody. Notice what Peter said. He told his audience, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God cares. And to have compassion for people, God cares for us. But not only can we show people that God cares, we need to show people that Jesus cares. And he really does. And there's several passages we can look at. I've just got one here. Notice this passage from Mark, 
It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. He had compassion on people. Jesus loved people. He wanted them to know that he cared and his Father cared. So it's vital that we show people, hey, God cares for you. And to show people and let people know and teach them, Jesus cares for you. And that's important. And we need to tell people that. But you know, maybe the best thing we can do, the greatest thing we can do outside of telling people these things, is to let people know we care. That we care for God, we care for Jesus, and we care for you, who you're talking to. Notice this passage. Again, this is from Peter, a statement he makes. He said, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Have compassion for one another. Where did Peter get that? He didn't always show compassion, did he? I don't think trying to chop a guy's head off is compassionate. But he learned it. Where did he learn it? He saw how Jesus handled situations. And Jesus was, had a, he was compassionate for everybody. So we need to show people that God cares. And Jesus cares and that we care also. But now let's look at some... Go to God's Word. And look at some examples of people who really had a fire and a zeal for showing people Jesus, for showing people that you need to follow Him. The first one is, a guy we don't talk about. We talk about his brother a lot, but we don't talk about him a lot. Well, this, in this context, we need to talk about him. Go to, go to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. Now, let's read this together. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, and as we read this, I don't know if I, if I can read with the passion that I need to and the enthusiasm I need to, but there's a, as we're reading this, think about how they're talking, the tone of their voice. They're excited. Notice the beginning of verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. Now, what does that tell you? He's visiting with Jesus, and the first person he goes to is the closest person in his life, his brother. So he goes and finds his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, looked at Simon Peter, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is, which is translated a stone. Now would Peter have overcome that stone? Would Peter have ever become the leader of the twelve, standing up on the day of Pentecost, if Andrew had first not gone and found his own brother? I don't know. Possibly, I don't know. But it's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit finds it important to tell me that first Andrew heard about Jesus and then went and found his brother. But also notice this. Philip, not the evangelist. Philip, the apostle. As a matter of fact, stay in John chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 43. It reads, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, See the pattern going on here? Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
He's the one. He's the one Moses talked about. He's the one the prophets talked about. I.e., he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Verse 46, And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Well, come and see. You come and investigate. You come and look for yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathanael was like, Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's just a small nothing village, according to archaeological uh, digs and so forth. It's a nothing place. Philip said, well, just come and see. But it was important for Philip to go find his friend Nathaniel. And, and Philip was just so excited, we found him. We know it's him. And he had a zeal and a fire and a passion to go tell uh, Nathaniel. Then Philip, not the apostle, the evangelist. And we don't have time to go through all of these, but in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip, after that great persecution of verse 1 to verse 4 of chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria. And he begins to preach the word there. And I think around verse 12, it's where it says, Now many believed in what Philip was preaching, and men and women were baptized. He had a zeal and a fire. Just because he was persecuted did not stop him. He had a mission. He had a goal. He had good news. And he went and shared it with Samaritans. But then we also know that he was, he talked with an individual. He talked to a treasurer. Candace's treasurer of Ethiopia talked to him about the gospel. A door was opened for Philip to do that and he took it. And he talked to this individual. At at Brother Hoyt's funeral today, I was honored to be a part of it, and, and Brother Ben Bailey uh, was the, uh, gave the message, if you will. And at the funeral site, uh, after everything was done, we're, we're standing to the side, and people coming up and saying a good job and so forth. <laughs> and I don't know if you know Brother Ben Bailey. He's, he's, he's a pretty cool dude. And he, people were coming up. He didn't know a lot of the family. He'd come up, people somebody, and they'd shake his hand. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Exchange names, about a minute of niceties. Then Ben would say, where do you go to church? <laughs> he didn't know these people. He just met them on the spot. Where do you go to church? And some say, well, I go to, and they'd say where they go. Some would say, where do you go to church? Uh, uh, what would you say? Where do you go to church? Oh, I, uh, I go to Irving College. <laughs> he had the zip. I love that. And it sort of influenced me to sort of change my sermon tonight to talk about this. Ben's got a zeal. A lot of us got a zeal, I know too. But he had the, the nerve, the courage, the gall, if you will, to ask somebody, where you go to church? Who knows what that's going to do? Who knows what that little seed's going to do? Philip had an opportunity. The door was open, and he preached Jesus. They're reading Isaiah 53, and from that open door, he showed 
Philip showed the Ethiopian Jesus. And he was baptized. And he became a Christian. And they went away rejoicing. Then the Apostle Paul. So many things we could talk about. I'm just going to look at one of these passages. Would you go to Acts chapter 14, please? Acts chapter 14. Again, you talk about somebody on fire for the Lord. Somebody who understood, I've got a message and people need to hear it. And I need to be a proper influence to show people this is important. Well, how important was it, Paul, to tell people about the good news? Begin reading in verse 19. He was in Lystra. said, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there to Lystra. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. Now, here's the gist of this. He rose up and went back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, where he was stoned, I come in Antioch where he was hated. In verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, lifting them up, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. He went back into the fire. He could have walked away from the war. He went right back into the, into the war, into the battles. That's the zeal he had. In Acts chapter 16, where Paul is in prison, at midnight they start singing songs, and then God delivers him out of that prison, and instead of escaping, he converts the jailer who was watching him. In Acts chapter 26, uh, the last time Paul talks about his conversion, he's before a king, King Agrippa. In in verse 26 and 28, Paul's on trial. And while he's on trial, he begins to preach about his conversion and about Jesus and how he, he was not disobedient to that heavenly vision and light. In verse 27 and 28, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe? He doesn't let him answer. He says, I know you believe. And you know what Agrippa said, right? Oh, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And of course, you know what Paul says. Paul says, I wish everybody that hears me could be just like me, saved, except for these chains I'm wearing. Paul had a zeal to preach. And he wanted to, and all these men that we're talking about here wanted to influence people for the better. Influence can be a powerful tool. Now, honestly, it can be a bad influence. It can be a good influence. That's why we can't be hypocritical in what we're doing. We have to be real about it. And we can look at bad examples. We can look at how Solomon was swayed by all the wives he had. How some hundred years later, as you read Micah, that people were still following some of Ahab's laws. That was a bad influence. We also read a lot of the good influences also, like Paul, like the apostles, and of course Jesus himself. Influence is a powerful tool. But if we use it correctly, if we use it as the Holy Spirit wants us to, the power of the Gospels, people's souls can be saved when we tell them about Jesus. We as Christians should all strive, a will, if you will, to be the influence Jesus needs us to be. Jesus wants us to be. We should want to be. tell people how the good news. Who keeps good news back? 
And we might surprise somebody with a surprise birthday or a surprise party, but eventually they come in and they're surprised and they're happy. Um, but we don't hold back good news. If we get good news, we just want to share it immediately. Folks, we have good news. We have the greatest news of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news, that, that God loves us, God cares for us, and God shows compassion on us and His grace and love and gives us salvation through Jesus, His Son. So we ask you tonight, as we think about this verse again that we started with, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have I've told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's caring. That's compassion. And as Jesus is preparing this great mansion for us, this heavenly abode, if you will, do we have the zeal and the fire and the passion to get ourselves there, number one, and then number two, closely attached to it, is to take friends and family with us. If you have a need tonight to obey the gospel, to renew your zeal, won't you do it tonight as we stand and sing?